Hey, this is Christian Hansen, and you are tuned into the Monetization Matrix, where we discuss everything related to products, services, growth, and everything in between. Uh, I'm 41 years old. I'm based in beautiful Bozeman, Montana, and I've been working in startups and technology since around 2005 in one capacity or another. Um, I've done a little bit of everything, um, which kind of gives me a unique perspective. Uh, I started out in commercial real estate back in New York City, um, and all my clients were startup companies. Um, 2004, when I was uh, in college at Columbia, I was one of those first early users of Facebook. And I think ever since then, um, I've just been attracted to technology, finding new things, figuring them out, testing them. I've always been an early adopter and, um, you know, it's just been a passion of mine. Um, but, you know, I left commercial real estate to actually go work with a venture capitalist, um, Howard Lindzen, who was at the time working on a startup called Wall Strip, which uh, he ended up selling to CBS Interactive. It was a YouTube series um, that was based around Wall Street, highly comical. I, I You should totally check it out. Those uh, episodes are gold. Um, and I worked with Howard and he brought me on board. I was very kind of him. And, you know, he took me under his wing and he kind of showed me the ropes. Um, and I was his, his venture capital associate for a year. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like 25, 24. And, um, during this period, it was kind of crazy because, you know, we're talking about like 2007, 2008 timeframe. Like this is like right when web 2.0 was like starting to blow up. And at the same time, you know, we were having, well, I think this is like recession era as well. And, you know, we had all of these companies that were going crazy. We had, uh, Twitter, going on. There's Foursquare, um, all this. And I was kind of like felt kind of in the middle of it. And um, from there, I started my first startup company, uh, trackstand.com. Trackstand, uh, we built it. Uh, Louise built it. I didn't build it. I'm not an engineer. Uh, Louise Gomez built it on Ruby on Rails. And, you know, I was, this was kind of like my first foray into monetization and at this time, I was doing bike riding, a lot of bike riding. And track stand was really about the track bike lifestyle of alley cats along with um, bike messengers. So what do you do if you're passionate about a niche industry? Well, you build a company around it. And my concept at the time was like, hey, if we took a little bit of like YouTube we took a little bit of like video content from there. Uh, we aggregated that. We took all the clothing, the backpacks, the bikes, the helmets, all the hard to find um, bike jerseys, and you were able to buy them in one place. Then you wouldn't have to go to 50 different bike shops, go to 50 different websites. You could just go to one place. So think of it kind of like a cross between Shopify, which didn't really exist at that time. Um with YouTube, with social aspects. And I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I was 
so young. I'd never built anything before. And this was kind of like my first foray into things, um, trying to build awareness, trying to build community, and then trying to use that community and awareness to then sell products. Um, obviously, it didn't end up working out. I don't think anyone on this that's going to be listening to this has ever heard of Trackstand. Um, so from there, I went into some other lines of randomness from an entrepreneurship point of view. I mean, I was working at DuncanQuinn.com. Duncan Quinn sells $5,000 custom-made suits. Uh, that was a really fun time. <laughs> Learned a lot there about working with a wide variety of people from lots of different backgrounds, lots of different cultures, different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, lots of entrepreneurs, celebrities, musicians. That was a pretty interesting time helping to helping him with his business. Um, and then going into chicken coops. I mean, I literally made chicken coops. Uh, I found a job listing on Craigslist. Um, I had left New York. I was back in the San Francisco Bay area. I think I was probably crashing on my parents' couch. It was in my late twenties. I'd already quote unquote failed at my first startup at Trackstand. I was kind of not sure what to do. I quit Duncan Quinn. I wanted a, a new beginning. I thought, hey, I'll go back to the Bay Area. I grew up in the Bay Area uh, in Marin County. And this guy, Kale, had listed on um, Craigslist that he was looking for someone who could read a tape measure and use a saw. And I thought, hey, I could do this. I know how to use a tape measure. I know how to use a saw. And <laughs> so I showed up at Kale's house in Mill Valley and he had, Hey, he had me start to build a chicken coop and working with him. We worked together for a couple of years. We came up with a modular system um, where chicken coops could be collapsed down into a couple of parts. And because of my background in bicycles, I'd seen that there were always bike boxes that were left over around all the bike shops. And I thought, Hey, what if we could put chicken coops into bike boxes that were going to go to the dumps and then we could ship the chicken coops anywhere in the United States. So I had to call up UPS and tell them, Hey, we have this great business concept selling chicken coops and it's going to blow up. It's going to be a huge multi-million dollar business. And the only way that we're going to be successful is UPS. If you're able to help us ship our chicken coops anywhere in the United States for $99. So I was able to negotiate that and kind of get our direct-to-consumer business flowing. We got picked up by Williams-Sonoma. We were at the Marin County Fair for the 4th of July. And it was during this time that one of the VPs at, at Williams-Sonoma came up to us and was like, hey, we're starting an agrarian line. You know, this was like 2011, 2012 timeframe. And you guys are making chicken coops in our own backyard here in, in Mill Valley. So would you guys like to be uh, selling your chicken coops through Williams-Sonoma and we'll distribute your, your, your coops for you guys. And you guys can help be kind of like the lead of our new agrarian line. So we were actually on their big marketing spiel. We were on the front cover, one of our chicken coops, um, which was kind of like, I don't know, like for a guy who has a background, like my background I did ancient studies. I studied Latin in high school. Uh, we didn't have to speak. 
I couldn't speak Spanish or French very well or any of that. So I was like, I'll just read dead languages. So my background was in ancient history. I have a dual degree in ancient history and art history. And then here I am selling chicken coops, having sold $5,000 suits, having started a track stand company that went nowhere doing commercial real estate before that. And so anyway, my journey's been a little bit all over the place. And I and by the time I got to doing the chicken coops, which was called Laughing Chickens, you know, I was running the e-commerce. I was trying to figure out how do we grow this business. Um, I think I was probably making like twelve to fifteen dollars an hour, if I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be honest because you know, this is my podcast. I can be as honest as I want. And but, you know, it takes like a lot of trial and tribulation in order to figure this stuff out. And it was during this time, after a couple of years of working at selling chicken coops and trying to grow that business beyond chicken coops into like garden goods and raised beds and compost bins that um, I decided to kind of get deeper into the actual world of building out real scalable products and services in venture capital backed companies like larger companies. And, you know, we can talk at a future date about a lot of my failures at not really getting into good VC backed or early stage companies. I have plenty of those stories. Um, but my route has taken me to some pretty cool companies over the last decade. Um, you know, I was at Levi Strauss doing e-commerce there, working on their payments um, I spent some time over at livecareer.com. That was kind of like where I really got into payments and subscriptions in the first place. Um, livecareer.com is owned by a company bald.com and they focus on resume services. So templatized resumes, I'm sure by now they're doing all sorts of cool AI stuff, but resume creation, cover letters. And I was on the platform team that built out the, um, services so that way we could take payments cross-border, we could do it localized, we could fight chargebacks, uh, do authorization, optimizations, um, stop card testing, you know, learning about PCI. And, you know, this was kind of like, I probably should have led that that's kind of <laughs> my monetization work comes from. But I also felt kind of like, to give you a little bit of intro about who I am, kind of like the background that I have, kind of want to start there. So anyway, we'll go from live career forward and say live career, interesting experience. Awesome. Levi's, great experience. Got to work on some of their internationalization. Got to do their, you know, Apple Pay implementation back in 2016. Um, wow, that's like eight years ago. Eight years ago that we did Apple Pay at, at Levi's, Levi's.com. Um, that was an interesting experience, I'll say that. And then um, leaving from there uh, to go to company Upwork, um, freelance Upwork, did, I was a senior product manager at that by that stage in my career um, on their payments team. Um, it was very short lived. It didn't really work out the way it wanted to. They have offices in San Francisco and offices in Mountain View. And I was living in Marin and going down to Mountain View and going into San Francisco every day. And my son was three months old. It was just 
a lot. And unfortunately, it didn't end up working out. Wish the best of that team. But it actually, you know, like a phoenix rises from the ashes, although that didn't work. What did work was Crunchyroll, which is where I went next. And I spent three years uh, as the lead for payments and subscriptions at Crunchyroll. And I got to say, this was probably one of my like career defining moments, I would say, like something that I'll always look back on with like positivity. Um, you know, I had the opportunity at Crunchyroll. And if you're not familiar, you know, Crunchyroll is the preeminent place to go watch anything anime related. Um, it started out as uh, a, <laughs> a like bootleg site um, back in the day uh, by some UC Berkeley students. And I might be butchering that a little bit, but anyway, they started this, this site and uh, it was like the number one place to get anime that was pirated. And then they decided to go legit. And um, Kuhn, the founder went to Japan and he started negotiating contracts for distribution, like legit distribution, not pirated, but like starting to actually work uh, with the distributors who actually created the content in Japan, even though he didn't speak Japanese. And he was like, Hey, like there's all these people that want um, anime and I want you guys to have a rev share and I want to build a business around it. And so by the time I got there, we had over a million subscribers. So, you know, I will not take any credit whatsoever for the early story there. Um, but I got there, we had a million subs. And when I left, we had 5 million subs. So during that time frame, I feel really fortunate that I was able to oversee the um, payment and billing team and watch, watch us grow 5X in size during the timeline that I was there, um, which... You know, for people that grew up in the Bay Area or just people in general that are familiar with how startups work, you know, you're always thinking like, hey, I wish I was like Google employee number five and that I had a hundred million dollars. Now I have a hundred million dollars and I definitely wasn't employee number five uh, or I think probably even employee number 200 um, at Crunchyroll. But it felt cool to be a part of like one of those, like the epitomes of like the Silicon Valley story where something went rocket ship up and to be a part of that. And during that time of running the billing and payments um, team, I was able to see us grow from a bunch of, a couple of, of uh, currencies to a multitude of currencies, a couple of languages that we had localized to a multitude of languages um, to bring in localized payments in LATAM um, to Europe um, to think about APAC, um, to do Europe, to bring in local payment methods, to bring in Boleto and OxoPay in Latin America. So people that really love anime can go to their local 7-Eleven and make a payment, um, as well as grow the United States at the same time and do price changes. And this was really where I would say I like cut my teeth, so to speak, around monetization I really learned the ins and outs of how to um, optimize growth, um, how to use payment plans to think about billing frequency. And it kind of like was something that's why I, I think so positively about it. And I hope that everyone can come away with their own version of this as they work through their career path. Um, 
And after a couple of years of that, we had this thing called the pandemic. And it was during this time frame that uh, my wife and myself decided that, um, you know, we thought it would be time for a change. And we left the Bay Area. We sold our house and we moved to Montana. Um, I am one of those Californians that moved to Montana. Please don't hate me. And, and, and we, we've loved it. Uh, for the last three plus years, three and a half years being here. Um, but it also necessitated uh, a change. Um, they were kind of ambivalent at Crunchyroll around like, what are we going to do after the pandemic? Um, like, you're going to have to come back to the office. And in my mind, I was like, I'm not coming back to the office. There's no way I'm coming back to the office. I don't have a house anymore in California. So it's impractical. So um, I worked at a company called updater. So I've worked at Upwork and then I worked at Updater and Updater as director of e-commerce there. And um, we worked with the moving industry to uh, help um, people that are moving like renters or new homeowners to get their essential services like beyond gas and electric, but their telco and uh, their insurance. And after a year of working there, um, it was apparent that their focus was not really e-commerce, um, although that's what I thought I was going to be working on. And so it was time for another pivot. So I decided like, hey, I have this great background in um, growth. I have this background in payments, this background in um, subscriptions and optimizing things. Um, so I found what is now my dream job working at Assurian and I am the uh, lead for payments, uh, billing and payouts at Assurian. Um, Assurian um, been there for two years now is the preeminent, I would say like insurance tech for uh, like, if you have a cell phone or if you have a home device, even appliances, we cover those. Um, we partner with companies like GameStop um, to do device protection for them. And I am blessed to have this role. Um, it's the company's based out of Nashville and I go out to Nashville, um, pretty often. And in the meanwhile, you know, when I'm not doing billing and payments work, I'm always reading about billing and payments. And I'm always thinking about how can companies do a little bit better? How can, um, customers have a better payments experience how can subscriptions be more streamlined? Um, what are growth strategies that can be employed to uh, grow a business, to keep customers engaged, uh, to make a better user experience? It's all these little things. It's like 1% on top of 1% on top of 1%. Um, if you're trying to aim for that, over time, you get these massive waves of success. And not everything works. Um, I mean, there's just as just as flowery as my story is about all these cool things that I've done. There's many things that are not cool about it. And um, that's, I think, where the perseverance and the consistency of just trying and showing up every day are really important. Um, one of the things I've recently started to do is joined the Payments Ed Board. Payments Ed is a nonprofit that is focused on 
um, payments education. So how do we make sure that payments are ubiquitous and easy to understand? You know, there's changes in regulations, changes in security, fraud. There's different things that we're all learning every day. There's different use cases. I mean, payments and subscriptions and monetization in general is an evolving market. And it's something that I am, you know, extremely interested in. And that's why I've dedicated myself to this um, over the last decade. Um, plus, you know, been working in that startup scene in one capacity or another for over 15 years. And as a payments subject matter expert over the last decade, um, so then the question is like, where do we go next? And every day I'm astounded. And, and I mean this in a positive way, astounded that there's so much opportunity out there in terms of work for folks like me and folks like, like you who are listening to this to do, because there's just so many businesses out there that are trying to grow, that are trying to get subscribers, that are trying to get users, that are trying to monetize their services, that are trying to collect fees. And so there's no like dull moment uh, in this space. Um, you know, it could be everything from how much should I be charging? How do I change the price? How do I take a service that I sell at one place and sell it in another? Like, how do I take something that costs 20 bucks in the United States? And how much can I sell that for in Mexico? And how do I charge customers in Mexico? And how do I allow customers in Mexico to pay for that thing that I want to sell? Um, and then how do I replicate that exact same experience and then make it applicable to, I don't know, like an audience in Germany um, or Norway? And what are the different rules and regulations about selling in each one of these countries or each one of these locales? And even if you don't want to go international, how do you just sell here in the United States? Like, what do you do in a retail situation? Do you take contactless payments? What kind of payments do you take? Which payment gateway should you be using? Which payment terminal is the best for you? Do you email receipts? Do you, do you print them out? Um, do you, I don't know, high five your customers? I don't know. Uh, what, what makes them sticky? What makes them come back uh, through the door? Um, so that's the other cool part is I think, you know, my background started in the tech sector, but then tech evolved in my personal professional relationship to involve retail and brick and mortar. And now I, I look at monetization through the lens of everything. You know, it is not just the um, online transactions that you're, you're keen to see. Um, it's not just checking out on Netflix, which is a great experience. Um, but it is, you know, what happens when a customer walks through the door, what makes them purchase? Why are they there? Um, how, how do you increase your average order value, your ticket size? How do you get them checked out faster? How do you make them happy? Um, how do you follow up with them? And I don't know now. Now that I'm, I don't want to say older, not old. People live to like 100. But now that I'm mid-career, I guess I could say mid-career, um, I'm starting to think through all sorts of industries. All sorts of industries are really interesting to me. And I love the fact that stuff that I've learned is applicable everywhere. And so that's kind of like the goal of this really is 
I'm hoping that the monetization matrix, and hopefully I get to stick with this name, that the monetization matrix helps entrepreneurs, it helps small business owners, large business owners, folks in finance, product managers like myself, um, folks that are working in partnerships, folks that are thinking about starting something new, um, folks that are tenured or might not know that much about payments or subscriptions, um, and that we can have an active dialogue. So I'd like to lay out that this hopefully isn't just going to be Christian talking for half an hour every week, but I'm hoping that this expands to uh, a wider audience. Um, I've been told that you're supposed to niche down into a vertical. So I guess this is my vertical payments, subscriptions, monetizing stuff, um, which is something I'm passionate about. So I have plenty to say, um, but I'd like to be able to bring in folks from both sides of the table. You know, I want to bring in merchants. I want to hear what struggles they're having. Uh, we can use these talks to talk about their businesses, their struggles. We could also use this time uh, to talk to vendors, you know, like what are they doing to make the industry better? Like what's Visa up to? What's Amex up to? Uh, what are the card schemes doing that's going to help customers? That's going to help merchants. Um, where, where are we going with security? Where does PCI V4 go and beyond? How does 3DS factor into things? Um, how, what is next, next gen, you know, AI, generative AI buzzword, right? Like, what is that going to do to this industry and how's it going to help customers and how's it going to help businesses grow and thrive over the coming years? Like, I don't have the answer to this and I'm genuinely interested. And I think that this is a great spot where I'm hoping I can bring some of these really smart, innovative folks onto and into these these calls. So that way we can get even more perspective about where we're heading as an industry. Um, you know, one of the things I always tell people is um, if you have a business, you need to make money and every business needs to make money. Therefore, every business needs someone like me to be in there helping to frame the discussion and to be thinking through what that user experience is and looking at it both from the lens of the customer, but that of the business and being kind of like that interlocutor between what customers see and do, how the customer experience is and how the business operates to kind of meet their needs. But then how do you kind of do this build versus buy where obviously you can't do everything. So how do you then balance the outreach to outside vendors and who are those outside vendors and how do you leverage them? So that way you're not doing everything and you're able to just focus on your customers, making a great business for your customers. So that's, that's that. I guess we're done with the very first episode. Thank you for listening. And, um, you know, if you have questions, you can always reach out to Christian at paymentsforpayments.com leave a comment, uh, shoot me an email, and would love to talk to you. Thank you.